Welcome to Reading for Attention, the weekly podcast where me, Paul, and me busy mate Sarah chat about a recent book whilst drinking a carefully selected beverage. Now, why have we committed to reading a book every single week and talking about it in a public forum? Well, the same reason me and Sarah do anything in life for attention. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Can we talk about this drink immediately? Straight away. <laughs> I've had one and I'm pissed. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, there's just so much to love and hate about this drink because we were going to record this a couple of days ago. So I bought the sake and then we moved it to today. Sake's nearly gone because I thought, <laughs> well, I'm just going to try and make myself one, see how it goes. It's unbelievably delicious and ridiculous. Re- just way too easy to make because you know when sometimes yeah. you've got a cocktail to make and you think oh I can't really be bothered like an espresso martini for example long. can never be asked so long this you just shove it all in how did you how did you make yours well I've got another confession well I've got a oh. confession already to start off with um of course I have created the wrong drink because <laughs> what <is> <laughs> there's absolutely no lychee involved <laughs> Are you joking? Are you joking? I was going to send you the angriest text today. I went into every single shop, <laughs> and I'm going to say all of Ed- all of Edinburgh at least, maybe even all of the central belt of Scotland, trying to find lychee anything, lychee squash, lychee liqueur, lychee syrup, lychees. I went into a fruit shop and I said, do you have lychees? And the guy was like, absolutely fucking not. This is Scotland. Um <laughs> But I st- I cannot get over a sake-based cocktail. So what have you made whoa, then? Whoa, whoa. So what I've gone for is, it's a little high, I don't really know, to be honest. I've got sake and gin, quite a lot of both, um, mixed with some lime and sugar syrup, which I made for myself, but Ooh. very easy to make. And then pickled ginger. <gasps> Did you just come up with that? Yeah just decided oh and I quite God. like ginger in a cocktail and it is yeah. stunning I can't like every time I go to take a sip my hand shakes with anticipation <laughs> how delicious it's gonna be um okay well I forgive you for one that now. you didn't make the cocktail because that sounds delicious but mine is just sake vodka because I prefer vodka a gin for martinis and then lychee syrup and that's all it is. And to be fair, the lychee syrup was already in the cupboard for some reason. That syrup, I think, is only available in some place, like a place like Home Sense. Do you know what I mean? Because they always stop yeah. random shit like that. Like a lychee syrup. Where I was Googling lychee syrup near me and even Google was like, no, hun. It's a moaning. Well, that's what I mean. I feel like that is exclusively a Home Sense brand. Yeah, potentially. So the the whole reason behind the lychee syrup is that there's this bar in Soho called Friendly Society that we've mm. frequented many a time together. It's very small and there's like Barbies hanging from the ceiling and it's got a bit of an aquarium <laughs> theme. It's just so weird, but it's just fantastic. And, we... and it's where we saw Theo from Love Island. <gasps> yes, true. Mm. And they used to do this lychee martini 
it's so sad that they don't anymore. I think over lockdown. Did they not? Have they? No, no. <gasps> so I think they've changed management over lockdown. And we were the first time I went back. It was really funny. When we first went back there, it was the time when you had to get a substantial meal. So they sort of brought over a plate <laughs> of like crisps and mini pizzas. It was just so, it yeah. was, I mean, I, I ate like them that. obviously. But <laughs> yeah, they've stopped doing like martinis. And I mean, they were sensational, but poisonous and I remember one time one of our friends just had a a quick nap on the floor after she'd Mm. had I think two of them and it's the kind where they just dribble down your arm because you can't seem to keep still and the glass is too small and yeah but just wonderful gorgeous gorgeous drinks um I think the highest count was that very friend. I think she might have had 10 in one night you know I'm sure there was someone it could have I'm sure it was one of or um, another one of our friends. I love how we're not naming and shaming. Either Anna or the, uh, the other one of our friends. Lychee and Saki Martini is great. It tastes just like the one from Friendly Society. And it takes about three seconds and, to make. And if you're an alcoholic, mm. like we are, drink these. And it, feel, it feels like a breakfast juice. Do you know what I mean? I could drink one of it these does. on hangover. Well, that's the worrying thing about it. Because even though it's pure alcohol, there's no mixer. It tastes quite delicious and fresh. In my Hi. panic of not being able... Is that Michael? Mm-hmm. Hi, Michael. I might just feel like, no, it's another... <laughs> <laughs> it's my wife. Um, in my panic of not being able to find any lychee, I went and bought two bottles of sake, one extraordinarily overpriced one, and mm. then one quite reasonable one. So this is it now. The beginning of the end, and I'm quite happy about it. Yeah, so basically we're, we're starting the decline because it's already bad and it's just going to get worse so but yeah. I mean at least for the next few weeks we'll just lean into it um, exactly it's Christmas time almost so yeah uh, well that's what I'm thinking of sitting in cozy bars drinking martinis right stop it because I said I wasn't drinking until my birthday wearing wearing a little black dress oh god yeah see you in a, a sexy LBD yeah she yeah, so you can see my nips whoa right let's talk about this book so <laughs> I've written out a little thing so that I didn't forget, but it's quite simple. I feel like it's quite easy to explain this book. So Memorial, it's called, written by Brian Washington, who's a 27-year-old, we'll not talk about that, American author of something called Lot, L-O-T, which came out in 2019. And that was a series of interconnected short stories set in Houston, where I'm guessing he's from because everything's in Houston. And it won loads of prizes, including the Dylan Thomas Prize, which I looked up today, and that includes £30,000. Lucky boy. Whoa, 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 uh, whoa. Yeah, I know. Uh, then, okay, so this book, Memorial, so it's about Benson and Mike, who have been together for a few years, and they live in Houston. And it's like their relationship's starting to stagnate. That's what it feels like. They're, they don't know whether they're going to stay together, whether, whether they're happy. Mike invites his mother, who lives in Japan, to stay with him and Benson, but then pretty much leaves as soon as she arrives. Um, This is Mike. So he he flies to Japan to see his father who's dying and stays there for a few months, leaving Benson living with Mike's Japanese mother, who he's never even met. So the novel's about whether this relationship is worth saving or like worth fighting for. It explores loads of like really now themes like gay relationships and family dynamics as relates to gay relationships across different cultures Uh, and then also grief and like sex and intimacy and all of that kind of stuff but I think the really I'm really trying not to say interest in this podcast (laughs) something about it 
yes. is that we hear from both of their perspectives. And I think that's mm. really, really effective in this book. So we start with Benson's perspective. So he's like, for God's sake, Mike's invited his mom to stay and now he's fucked off to Japan. What a knob. And you hear all about the relationship through Benson's perspective. And then it shifts to Mike's perspective when he's in Japan, sort of caring. Not really, he doesn't feel like he's caring for his dad, but he's certainly looking after his business kind of thing and watching him die, essentially. So you see it from Mike's perspective, then it goes back to Benson's perspective. And I think obviously that's a very deliberate choice and it has very deliberate impacts. Can impact yeah. be plural? I think it can um, on the reader. Yeah. So, Sarah, yes. tell me what you think. It seems like so far, apart from last week's book, so basically just Sally Rooney and um, Brian, where this Bri. is another, Bri, big Bri Bri, this mm-hmm. is another example of real like millennial literature where there isn't too much plot. Um, we get a sort of, because it's written in first person, so each of the three parts are these first person perspectives, we get this insight directly into these characters lives but still there isn't too much revealed about either character um the dialogue is brilliant but very very minimal and bare almost so it's it's not really plot driven it's not really character driven but we still are drawn into it I don't know I enjoyed it on the whole um I think it was a really fabulous way of proving how a first person narrative can shift alignment because we start with Benson and I mean even just in your overview that you gave it's obvious that Mike like well it feels as though it should be obvious that Mike is being a dickhead you can't just leave to Osaka leave your mum who's come over from Japan to see you with your partner who I don't think she has ever they've ever met before no before they haven't that part and then piss off for an indefinite amount yeah. of time um and I think it's really I was about to say clever <laughs> <laughs> you can't say clever and I can't say interested okay um I think it's a very uh it's a good example of how first person narration can really shift alignment because then in the second section of the book and um Mike's perspective we see that actually Benson isn't all that he's made himself out to be in the first part and then by the time we get to the final part we do feel a little bit more like torn between the two I think yeah personally my favorite thing about it was the style that it was written in really clean and again like Sally Rooney is she just going to be the benchmark for everything do you think from now on probably but yeah Uh, um very economical clean I'd (laughs) I found it a little bit difficult to get into because there were so many short sentences. It's just like there wasn't any sort of rhythm to the prose. It was like loads of just short, harsh, blunt sentences. And then that also translated into the dialogue. And it felt like the characters. I felt a frustration again with the characters because it's like this huge communication issue. Maybe that's what being a millennial is all about. We just don't actually know how to communicate with one another. Yeah. Going back to sort of character, we feel... An alignment and an affinity with both of them because of this first person narration without actually getting much of either. I didn't understand either of their motivations. I didn't understand much of where the whole issue was coming from in their relationship or issues. And I didn't mm-hmm. understand any sort of resolutions or changes that they were thinking about making. Um, but I still enjoyed it. So convoluted answer for you there, Paul. What no, did you I... think? Yeah, I mean, I, I really liked it as well. I, I loved the style. The style drew me in straight away. And I liked, I think it's it's not 
particularly common to see literary fiction and even adult fiction written in first person present which a lot of it is mm-hmm. um but it, it's done there's there's lots of stuff in first person present and then in, there's lots of remembering what their upbringings were like so there yeah. are lots of commonalities between Benson and Mike They're, they seem to be very different people personality wise but they've both experienced difficult upbringings um, Mike's dad is is dying of cancer and is kind of refusing to um, have traditional treatment. Yeah, um, or really and, to acknowledge it, it feels like. Yeah, yeah. And and also Benson's dad is an alcoholic and they both have struggled with their parents when it comes to them being gay, mm-hmm. um, which, which I just find interesting to read about. What I really loved was this idea of the unreliable narrator. Do you remember like, learning that in GCSE English? I'm, I am still obsessed with that concept. Yeah, my God, me too. Like, absolutely. <laughs> um, but what I, what I loved about this was both reliers are un... Both, both, both reliers. reliers are unrelated. Both reliers are unrelatable. Both... <laughs> what, what am I saying? Both, both narrators are unreliable. Are unreliable because they feel like real people and real people are unreliable. So... Exactly. The way that Benson sees himself is I think probably completely honest to Benson and mm-hmm. completely honest to us actually when you when we only have his narration and, and the first part of the novel we're like fully on Benson's side just like you said Mike's a dick what's he doing maybe not a dick but mm-hmm. he's, he's certainly clueless he's, he's mm-hmm. you know what, what on earth are you doing inviting your mum over then going to Osaka but then as we go into Mike's narration Mike is much more lovable through Mike's own eyes and I think that's generally what happens with people and I'm, I'm not saying that everyone loves themselves but you know from your own perspective you live in your own head all the time you rationalize things mm-hmm. through your lens and sometimes even if you're really compassionate and empathetic it's difficult to fully see it from somebody else's point of view and yes but what what I love about what he's done in this book is that it doesn't it's not supposed to shock you, I don't think. It's not like you you hear it from Benson's point of view. Then you hear Mike's and you're like, well, Benson's the dick. It's not like that. It's more nuanced and complex than that. And and like you said, we don't exactly know why this relationship is is breaking down, if, if it's breaking down. And if, yeah. if it's not breaking down, then are they still in love? And if it is breaking down, are they going to do something about it? It's not clear cut. And I do really love that kind of fiction where it is is much more reflective of, of the way that people actually live their lives and people have relationships because it did just remind me of people I know in relationships or have known in relationships and you know mm-hmm. only they know but actually they don't know either <laughs> yeah exactly from what happens isn't it nobody agree. gets it so are you saying that you like the authenticity Paul I was trying to say it without using the word authenticity. <laughs> um, <laughs> I completely agree. And I'm, I'm, without spoiling the end, there's a character that sort of comes in and gives not necessarily like a clear cut resolution and doesn't come in. So has been part of the narrative from the very beginning, but sort of tries to lay things out quite factually. And it feels as though in any other book, do you know what I'm talking about when I talk yeah. about this character? That Yeah. In any other book it, that would have served the purpose of ending it on a happy note. Whereas in the authentic or the true style that this whole book was written in, it's still pretty ambiguous. It still does a whole lot of nothing for the characters. Something that I will say 
Oh, here I she goes with her one criticism. <laughs> <laughs> Every book. Yeah, what a dickhead. Um, is that voice was lacking for me in this novel. Okay. In that I, fe- I felt that both Benson and Mike and all of the other characters were really well formed, but there was I found it pretty difficult to distinguish between Mike and Benson's voice I think like the actual narrative there was no narrative shift there was no indication other than the markers where it says Benson Mike or Benson Mike Benson there's no other markers in the whole thing that it's either one of them talking they were pretty indistinguishable for me um do you think that that's a, a, a deliberate choice yeah, this is what I'm trying to think about, whether it's or whether it's just an author who I don't like. This is, again, like what I've said in the first podcast about how we shouldn't, you know, look at the author. We should just look at the, the mm-hmm. work. But I don't know. I don't know. A part of me just felt like it was a little bit of a shortcoming on the author's like experience. Like if this is his first novel, perhaps there's no real experiment with voice or even if it was in a slightly different style. I think there was a bit it got a bit more choppy towards the end of um, Mike's section. And there was a bit more like flashback, a few more flashback sequences and stuff like that. But then that that also was mirrored in like the dialogue as well yeah. yeah I just wish there'd been something because ultimately they've had very different upbringings really. I do know what you mean because when it started with Mike I think the biggest distinction at least for the first few pages was that he said the word fuck about 20 times yeah which I found overbearing and for someone that swears a lot we get it we get it you swear like, you're not Benson no yeah. but, and I don't even know if that was continued throughout but I wonder if it is mm. some kind of point about that these two people, as different as they are, are, are really similar. Are really yeah. similar? I don't know. But I, I did actually pick up on that as well. But then, I, you know, I got used to the fact that it was Mike. So Yeah, that's true. And to be honest, when you're in a long-term relationship, and maybe that, yeah, maybe the point is that there's this monotony that they've sort of fallen into. Yeah, maybe. And that they even begin to think alike and speak alike and behave alike. Despite being... Some- initially really different people because there are flashbacks to when they first met and how they first got together and you can set you can see from the very beginning that they're they're very different people in lots of ways so maybe they do sort of meld into one another thing that I found not disinteresting (laughs) not uninterested was (laughs) all this stuff about fidelity and this sort of traditional relationship rules Mm -hmm. so fairly early on it's where we hear that their relationship I don't know what you would maybe consider an open relationship at least from Mike's perspective like Mm -hmm. having sex with other people and we see how Benson sort of feels about that but then Benson kind of explores that in a weird way as well so that's interesting because oh for fuck's sake I've said it again I need (laughs) to get a thesaurus what I liked about that was (laughs) obvious I'm not trying to say interesting I think I might just say it can I just be my catchphrase yeah go ahead and mine's clever yeah (laughs) is that we're so used to these traditional relationship Mm. parameters that Mm -hmm. what is what happens when you take them I don't mean in real life I mean particularly in fiction what happens when you take them away how are you supposed to feel about that and I'm seeing more of this in literature and it's really fun to explore that because when we read books about relationships or watch films about relationships there are so many rules that are already there that we have to unconsciously subscribe to because of you know whatever reason and and there's there are lots of relationships where they aren't there yet and I think it makes us feel uncomfortable to a degree but then it makes you interrogate well why am I feeling uncomfortable about it's not my business Mm -hmm. um so yeah yeah, what, what did you 
pick up on any of that definitely I felt even in the mic section I still felt much more of an alignment with Benson because of this ingrained because Benson does have the issue well not an issue because it still happens but what I got from it was that Benson would rather be monogamous and Mike is quite happy with an open relationship that's where I got to I think yeah and they found some kind of happy medium but initially Benson isn't too pleased about it or there's some sort of discomfort there and then because I related to that I was like yeah I absolutely would feel the same way as you Benson even in the Mike section I was still sort of subconsciously aligned with Benson I think I felt the same do you think it's anything to do with Benson's being story being told first probably I don't know because I mean probably it is really like oh not interesting not clever it's um considered it's a very considered choice to have that first because if we yeah yeah come through with the considered (laughs) um but I do think actually if we'd have had Mike's section first I don't know I think I've still got society's claws too deep in me to think that his behavior is somehow just not justifiable because it's like it is acceptable it's obviously completely fine but obviously (laughs) obviously god i'm okay well this question might reveal where we are in as humans in society which character was sexier benson oh do you think yeah I think so. I think so. I, I think so too. I, I had more of an affinity with Benson, even when yeah. we discovered through Mike's lens that he it certainly wasn't telling the whole truth or, or, or wasn't fully aware of lots of his own character mm-hmm. traits. And But I wondered if you were like, no, but Mike's sexier because he's more sort of carefree and or oh, it comes across yeah way, definitely yeah. much but, more confident and yeah but but that's mm. never really been my thing so so maybe yeah maybe not <laughs> <laughs> yeah Mm, but, that is interesting maybe it is mike oh now i've now i'm trying to think of it sort of objectively yeah you have i mean yeah, i think they were both sexy in their own right definitely should we talk very quickly about the sex yeah so i want to talk about the sex and i want to talk about the violence yes 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 and i also kind of want to um there's another subject matter very very briefly touched upon a few times in the right benson is pause oh my god yeah such a good point we probably mm. should talk about that so let's talk about the sex. <laughs> yes, because this is gay sex or queer yeah. sex. And in Sally Rooney's book, it was very much heterosexual sex. Mm-hmm. I feel like you should take the lead on this one because I took oh. the lead on the Sally Rooney dogs. Well, I am an expert. <laughs> you are. You are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of it, I'm, I think it was well-written sex. <laughs> do you? I, I do in, in, in lots of, I think it was believable sex Mm. apart from the point that and sorry ma'am if you're listening but there is so much and maybe maybe this is just me that the lack of preparation that goes into gay sex in books and films is just really takes me out of it and I'm sorry I'm sorry but I'm just gonna say that it's it's like you can't like go out for a curry and then have a massive fight and then have sex on the kitchen bench you just can't (laughs) yeah it was always while they were cooking I was thinking you just can't and if if if, yeah I'll leave it at that but other than that (laughs) I did I thought it was I didn't find I didn't find it massively like erotic or anything but I did find it realistic because I think no definitely not I don't think sex is particularly erotic in relation like 
Well, not that... if you're going to write the words down on the page. It's actually quite grotesque. It is very grotesque. And <laughs> but it's also it's also weird. Like, I think there was a bit where he put his... I've probably got this wrong, but it's something like he puts his tongue on his, like, belly button or something, which I guess is maybe sexy to some people. But the way that it was written, it's like, like Fifty Shades of Grey. It's not just, like, drop, flopping his tongue on our belly button. <laughs> Exactly. It's not, I think it's where what we're used to reading about sex or even experiencing about sex collides with this world of this new literary fiction where sex is described as this very like, especially in the way that this book is written, like this staccato event where it's like, yeah. there was so much hand on stomach action. Yeah. And as a woman with body dysmorphia, I'm thinking if someone puts a hand on my stomach, I'm going home. Well, do you think because it's it's talked about in the book that Mike is a bigger boy? Uh-huh. So I wonder if it's something to do with that the fact that that isn't an issue to Benson. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. a bit more deep than that. Yeah, I the thing that I found about the sex, I found it believable definitely. Apart from like you say, the lack. Even I was thinking, surely not. Yeah. Surely not. It's like I'm just going to put it for a quick wee at least. Jesus. <laughs> Just brush my teeth. Yeah. Anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it seemed quite, in most instances, quite violent. And maybe that yeah. was, like I've been saying, the sentence structure, this like harsh stop start, mm. no rhythm or flow, like no, no romanticizing. And then it was always in the context of, of the actual narrative, not always, but most of the time after a huge row. Yeah. Or like in the middle of a huge row. And then it, and then it's always described as fucking as well. Mm-hmm. Like, and then we fucked and whatever. And then I just felt like, I don't know, maybe because it was two men that in my brain, I was just like, oh, maybe they just enjoy scrapping loads. No, it's absolutely. It was extremely toxic. I remember that yeah. like, you've just reminded me of something that someone, one of my friends once said that, isn't it weird how gay people get made fun of for being like sissies? He was, and he said, can you think of anything more manly than two men having sex? And I know that's really problematic, but I was like, oh my it's God, absolutely I, true. I hadn't actually thought about it like that before. Like two men having sex. Yeah. But no, you are, it's super violent and it's, there's, there's a lot of uh, arrestable offences that happen in this book they basically <laughs> domestically abuse each other yeah and it's uncomfortable laughed to at, read laughed at the wrong point then I think <laughs> went, yeah <laughs> it makes you think about stuff that goes on because neither Benson nor Mike really they acknowledge the fact that it's happening but it's never acknowledged in the fact where oh maybe I should leave because it's violent or mm-hmm. maybe I should have called the police or but they're, they're kind of both doing it to each other but it just makes you think how much this just will happen all the time and this is like it's hopefully not a, a standard relationship but, but violence in relationships is extremely common and I think mm-hmm. to the point where people don't even realize it's happening to the degree that it is mm. and so yeah it really it made me feel comfortable and there was nothing yeah nothing romantic about the sex but weirdly I, I then didn't come away from the book thinking oh well those two are completely un- incompatible like you still kind of want yeah. them to make a go ro- I was rooting for them I was rooting for them the whole time what Even was the, with the other... last thing what last thing did I say yeah. that? Sex and violence and then something else. Oh, yeah. Um, Benson being pause. Oh, that's right. That's right. I thought it was handled really well and and differently to how I've seen HIV be handled in books and TV. 
because it didn't feature as a main plot line and he was not receiving horrified reactions really from anyone when he revealed his status and actually I think it it reflects the way that particularly well the gay male community really because that's the one that it's affected the most is understanding now that HIV isn't the isn't what it used to be it's not you know there's treatment available and I liked seeing for example Benson telling some a sexual partner oh I'm positive and it and it kind of being okay well should we do this then rather than Mm -hmm. oh my god how can you not tell me which is just the way that we've been brought up hearing about it so I thought that I actually quite liked reading about that to be honest I did I thought it was really well handled right up until the point when I think Mike directly refers to how absolutely fine with it he is Mm. and how he's it's like um I think the line or something like he just takes his medication with breakfast or whatever mm-hmm. and then it felt a tiny bit overcompensating All but right. that's just such a small nitpicky thing I completely agree I think that we see it we're seeing it more and more these days um in tv and in books where there are these huge underlying or overlaying whatever contexts of characters whether somebody's black or queer or anything and and then that isn't a central storyline. Like the trauma that is linked with that isn't a central storyline. And I think that's really refreshing to see. But then these throwaway lines sometimes that allude to the importance of it, but don't delve any deeper into it. Because I was, I was ashamedly intrigued by him being HIV positive and how that might have impacted the relationship previously or mm. how it would impact future relationships or whatever but I enjoyed the fact that that was withheld from me because it's like well actually it doesn't it doesn't impact it in any it way whatsoever yeah. so then this it felt like you know throwing a bone kind of thing the thing that I'm thinking of is did you watch Bridgerton no I actually probably the only person who didn't <laughs> yeah so one a few it's a period drama essentially but it's I mean it's not but it is um and a lot of the main characters are black and there's absolutely no mention of any of the trauma associated with racism or being black in that period or in whatever the current society it's just not mentioned apart from this one line in one in the first season well the only season and it just doesn't make sense because it's like well you've ignored it up until this point and that could easily have been justifiable or like it could have been like if that's not supposed to be on the radar I can get on board with that and be it takes you out of it yeah and I yeah I just felt a bit annoyed about that one little sentence yeah I was like oh uh, so it's a bit heavy-handed. Yeah, no, I totally get what you mean. I think it's probably the first time that I've read about HIV in that way before, because even things like It's a Sin, which was just a huge hit, but it still felt like, I mean, I thought it was absolutely brilliant, but it still felt like it was oh. probably aimed at those who weren't fully aware of the AIDS crisis, which is probably still the majority of people. And I've never heard yeah. people talk about that so much. And Oh my God, I couldn't believe it. And all that. And maybe mm. because I've grown up kind of reading about it and I, I, I think I understood to a, a greater degree that that was how it was, but it still felt like we still need to teach people this. And it's ascended a perfect job of that. It was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And um, also things like Pose that's on Netflix. Yeah, but it's actually BBC, I think. Oh, is it? it originally. Anyway. It's on Netflix too, but um, they, the HIV is obviously a big storyline in that. And again, it's, mm. it's, it's it's very good at teaching you about the medications that you take. And, and obviously that's set in the 80s and 90s where it was, it was a really, I don't want to say a death sentence, but you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah. So this was nice to have something where it was referenced in, in 
such quite Impassing a light touch way. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. So that, that was Definitely. refreshing. I like agree. You say. Um, so, Memorial, Brian Washington. Well done. Yeah, I thought well it done, was sir. Very, very exciting. Like, I'm excited to read more of his stuff. Are you going to read a lot? No. I don't I do I'm, short stories. <laughs> I don't either, but I don't know why, because that sounds fantastic. Short stories. The worst thing is about stories is that they're friggin' long. I know. This is what I've been thinking about recently is that, um, what was I watching the other day? Something that normally would have captured my attention immediately and the whole time I was just on my phone. Um, I think TikTok particularly has just destroyed attention. my brain. Mm, Someone actually read about Memorial in a review and they said that, they, they actually said it was it was very short chapters which i bloody love but maybe that's because yeah because i've been impacted but they said it's almost like he doesn't trust our attention span i was like well yeah <laughs> yeah that's exactly it i just like well i, I don't trust sh- my own so well done exactly Brian. i i love a short chapter um because because it's this reading for attention thing paul you can mm-hmm. say oh yeah i just read a f- i just read 10 chapters before bed last night no one needs to know those chapters were a page longer each uh-huh exactly <laughs> I feel drunker than I normally would have for drink, but that's because it's essentially three or four drinks in one. I'm gagging for another. Oh, well, that's <laughs> the had... thing, Sarah. This is not not good. No, it's not. And actually, I've got dinner in half an hour, and I've got to pretend that I'm sober. Oh, I mean, just don't bother. Yeah. Um. So, what I would like to talk about for mm. the for the next fifteen minutes or so is my birthday. Oh, <gasps> so I'm gonna disclose how old you're gonna be. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Absolutely, I'm not ashamed. I'm going to be 30. <laughs> which means 30 I'm not going to be 20 anymore. Oh my God, you're not. Ever again. I don't know if you knew, but you, you don't ever get to go back. Never Fuck, again. This is, I wanted to actually start this podcast by saying you mm. are in the final week of your 20s. And how does that feel? Shit, shit, shit. No, it doesn't feel shit. First of all, I, I really am. No, I'm overly. That was me saying shit about forgetting, but sorry, carry on. Oh, I've heard people talk about their age in rooms full of people of various ages. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, have some fucking self awareness. Someone at work who's like 23 will be like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm 24. And they're by far the youngest person in the office. And I know we shouldn't care about age and stuff and nobody really cares. Mm. I'm like, how are we, man? We've got 79-year-olds. I don't work with any 79-year-olds, but I'm making a point. (laughs) Um, So I'm very aware of that. And I don't want to be that person who does that because I'm 30, which is young as fuck. And I look about 15. Yeah, fresh out of the womb, baby. Yeah, um, I'm starting to get to the point now where I get ID. This sounds like a brag. I think this sounds like a humble brag and just mm-hmm. going against everything I've just said. But it's, I think it's true, especially with the mask. I'm quite baby faced anyway, but with, when I cover me old gob, I look even younger. And then it's now the starting, so, yeah. But people think that I do this on purpose. This is just what comes out. I can't. I don't like mold it. I'm not Noel Edmonds. But they look, they look at my ID and I can tell that I think they're getting the point where they think it's a fake ID because I like you think. Really? Yeah, because I just look like a stupid little orphan boy. <laughs> yeah, that is a humble brag. Yeah. I went into a shop the other day and I got ID'd. Uh, well, actually, just before she said, can I see your ID? She went, uh, can I I'll just take your mask off? And I took my mask off and she went, doesn't matter. Oh, she's like, oh, shit. Yeah, she went, oh, yeah. God, sorry I asked. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, what, sorry, what's a hide? A, a beard? Jowls? Mm. <laughs> Imagine, like, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> 
so I don't actually feel bad but I do I have been like thinking about it thinking oh god I'm never gonna be in my 20s again and I I was thinking about the episode of Friends where they all turned 30 and I mean I presume they were slightly older than 30 I hope they were but I'm like oh my god I do not feel as old as I thought they were in that in that episode I'm not I don't I don't think I feel down about it or anything I'm really excited for my birthday I absolutely love my birthday I can't wait I do think that 30 is the only age where you're sort of made to feel horrified. I don't think people are like, oh, 40, like that's it. Blah, 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 blah. And actually 30, 30 is young, 30 is sexy. I think it is. I think that I'm excited for that. To be honest, I'm excited for 40s and 50s. I feel I feel like I'm deep down, I'm 46. Mm. I look 15 and I'm 30, so it's just it's just all working out. I want to be a 46-year-old housewife, though, which isn't going to happen. Yeah, that's going to be quite difficult. But there's a very, there's a significance of 30 in my life. Because mm. when I was 17, and I, I first started going clubbing to this gay club in Newcastle called Powerhouse. Oh. Which was just, it just was the centre of the universe. I can't. I can't describe it as anything other than that. Just center of the center of the universe. The the in my opinion, the the planets and the sun and the moon and the galaxies were just all ro- just rotating around powerhouse. <laughs> not in the smoking not, area. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, funny you should mention it because the the tale I'm about to tell you happened in the smoking area <laughs> of powerhouse. So me and my friend Stacy were in powerhouse when we were seventeen. Um, outside thinking we were class which we were and these two people walked up to us a boy and a girl man and a woman I should say <laughs> and I don't know how we started talking to them but we did then I just say quickly yeah I have no idea where this is going <laughs> I mean I hope yeah <laughs> orgy no. <laughs> no 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 definitely no orgy okay. no so they were called John Paul and Danielle <laughs> John Paul and Danielle started talking to us about life and they talked to us about the mistakes that they'd made the life that they decided to live they were both mortal which is great um Uh Danielle made us uh feel her rock hard tits because she's really (laughs) proud of those and we did we did we obliged and basically told us all the things that we shouldn't do in life she said you shouldn't have a baby when you're young uh, you shouldn't yeah. ever stop being friends all this stuff we've not stopped being friends Stacey actually did have a baby but uh, I think it's <sighs> I think it's a good thing I know but I think it's a good thing she seems to really like him and he's very very nice boy and he's coming to visit us in London soon not just him oh my god <laughs> I met him and I met her oh of course he did at the wedding yeah, yeah. um but they were 30 and they basically have told they told us what the things that we should avoid the things that we should do before we turn 30 and I remember looking at them thinking god you're ancient and every year in the in our birthday cards since then when me and Stacey write each other cards we draw I draw like a timeline of like between 17 and 30 and be like oh we're nearly there like only four years to John Paul and Danielle only three years to John Paul and Danielle and Stacey actually oh. became Danielle on the 5th of October and I'm becoming John Paul on Thursday and but to be honest it, it's 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 a good thing I'm quite happy to be John Paul I, John Paul I thought was fantastic at the time it's weird to think that he'll be 43 now I hope he's living a great wow. life I know but yeah so that's that's the only, that's kind of cultural significance of 30 to me but I don't feel sad about it I'm younger I'm always going to be younger than Michael which makes me feel better even though I'm always yes. going to be like way older than you and um I but know. that's okay it's fine. that's okay I just can't believe that you've been clubbing for 13 years 
know. My first time I went to Powerhouse, I was 16. And on oh, the right. first night I met, the first ever night I went to Powerhouse, this is before I was even out, I met my first boyfriend of 18 months, which, I mean, 18 months when you're 16, what's well, basically 50% wow. of your life. So it's been a very successful place for me, Powerhouse. Well, I well. haven't. I went about four years ago on Boxing Day and it was it was not it was not the same or I wasn't the same one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, leave those rose tinted sunglasses firmly on. Yeah, absolutely. There's a club like that in Preston called Warehouse. And it is still to this day, having clubbed in numerous countries on the planet, it's still the best nightclub that I've ever been to. Oh. Um Wow. And I remember one year I was maybe 17. Yeah, I must have been 17. I was on the dance floor, really throwing it down. And I felt um, this like claw hand on the back of my head. Like, you know, like in those grabby arcade machines, it's like yeah. that. These five, well, four fingers and a thumb <laughs> came down on my head. And I was like, what the fuck? And I turned around and it was my brother um, who is three years older than me. So 20 at the time. And I remember looking at him in this club and thinking, someone needs to take him the fuck home because he is ancient. Oh. Like it was, it was, yeah, it was embarrassing. And then so obviously we had the night of our lives it was funny. My friends, his friends, we were dancing. They were like, "Who are these geriatrics in the club?" And I was like, "Not a clue." Mm. Um, and I've not, I've not been back again. It's like a, in my mind, as one of those places, like an untouchable relic of well, better times. Yeah. And I'll never ever amazing. go to a nightclub as good. You used to be able to get two double vodka rushes. Rush is like a poor man's Red Bull. Yeah. And the vodka was absolutely not vodka but two double vodka rushes for five pounds and then jaeger bombs were a pound so i used to get three jaeger bombs two double vodka rushes per single drinks order for me and while i was waiting for my double vodka rushes to be made i would do the three jaeger bombs at the bar oh my god that is so fit powerhouse had similar things it was boost uh not rush but that yeah. was the the mixer. And actually, I remember thinking, oh, Powerhouse is really expensive at the time. But looking back, it was probably two. Because the thing about Newcastle is it's it was three trebles for a fiver. And I didn't realise that. I think Newcastle and Liverpool were the only places that did trebles. So trebles are definitely of... very illegal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was. But also they used to do a 90s night on a Monday. Me and Anthony used to. I was working at the pub. I would finish at half 11. Anthony would pick me up from the pub at half 11. He would zoom down the coast road uh, while I was having pre-drinks in the car and changing out of my uniform into a really, really sexy outfit. And then would get Top back. sponsored. His. Oh, God, yeah. And then would get back to Anthony's, have a couple more drinks. And then Taxi was there. Would be out for like half 12, 90 pence entry, 90 pence drinks. 90 um, pence? Oh, yeah, that's, but, like, that's Victorian, that man. Uh, yeah. It was, really it was, it was great because they did these <laughs> things where it was like, for this song only, VKs are 90 pence. And every, what a stupid <laughs> thing to do. Yeah, Everyone yeah, would rush to the worst. bar. And we would come with like 10 VKs with all of our fingers and thumbs in them and just like be <laughs> dancing on the dance floor, holding them by the fingers. Oh God, stop it. I really want to go out right now. Oh, I really, really miss Warehouse. Maybe we should take one another to respect our clubs. respect haunts. Yeah. Yeah, I think we should. So next week, Paul, we are Ooh. going to have read 
and we'll be discussing Colson Whitehead's latest novel, Harlem Shuffle. So Colson Whitehead has written many, many books, um, two of which have won him Pulitzers, The Underground Railroad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Underground... trying not to be (laughs) mad about it Uh, the underground railroad and the nickel boys um were the two that got him the pulitzer and this is his latest release it came out in september of this year and it's called harlem shuffle and i think we're gonna see for the first time in this podcast maybe a little bit of plot oh no way yeah that was a bit bitchy wasn't it so yeah i'm not gonna give too much away because I can't. I've not started reading it yet. But I have read Whitehead before. And he is an excellent author, in, in my opinion. Um, so I'm really excited about this. And I went back and forward on the, the drink. Mm-hmm. But basically, I have gone for something called The Harlem. Where did you um, get the inspiration from for that one? Mm, yeah, it's quite, it's quite nuanced. That's, <laughs> that's all right. I went for sake because of Japan. So don't just... Yeah. It's fine. Um, which is gin, is it maraschino? Like the cherry? Maraschino Mar- cherry. Maraschino liqueur. Oh, right, okay, like black cherry liqueur. Yeah, and yeah. pineapple juice. Oh, fun. But, I don't know, a bit fruity, um, which I'm not usually a huge fan of, but I need to take a step away from these sake martinis. Oh, me too, man. So basically, Harlem was, during the prohibition, was like a hub of speakeasies and nightclubs and places where you could get alcohol. Wow. Um, so I thought about doing, you know, setting you the task of making some moonshine. <laughs> but then I I just thought CBA and I want something quite sweet and easy, yeah. which is why we're going for the Harlem. I love your decision. Hello. I'm very excited about Colson Whitehead. Colson? Colson, yeah. Colson Whitehead. L-S-O-N. Colson. Such a cooler name than Paul. Um, and <laughs> very excited about the drink too. And very excited that it'll be another one that's in person, but not in person, because I still haven't worked Woo! out how to do that. So we'll just be in separate rooms. I'll see you on your 30th. <laughs> I'll see you then, my baby. Love you loads. <gasps> Love you. Bye. Bye.